Welcome to the Granite Gals podcast. This is the podcast where we interview female hikers who hike the right mountains. I am Alexandra Her, And I am Sage Her. We are 14 and 12 year old hikers who have been hiking the 4,000 footers since we were little. We have done the 4,000 footers, the 52 with the view, trail rides, and many other mountains. The opinions that we personally express in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our interviewee or of any organizations we may mention. Hello everyone, today we are interviewing Pam Wilmot, an experienced four-season hiker who leads group hikes for the Appalachian Mountain Club. We're interviewing Pam at the Common Cause of Massachusetts in Boston. Hello Pam, welcome to Granite Gals. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. So why did you begin hiking the White Mountains and when? Well, I started hiking a lot when my son was born. Um, He really loved waterfalls um, when he was about two to three. So we did a lot of waterfall hikes in in the White Mountains. But I didn't really get the hiking bug until later. Uh, And it was kind of a funny story. I'd done other peaks. I did Lincoln Lafayette when I was in college and, uh, you know, as I said, the waterfall hikes, we stayed along some Lake Cod and did all that. But it wasn't until my friend Peter organized a big trip that was, the first one was to Lakes of Clouds and that kind of didn't really grab me. Even though we did Washington, that was beautiful. But one time I was without my family. Maybe that had some, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to uh, Galehead Hut and did Galehead and South Twin. And I was so tired after that. I just was, my I was falling the whole way down the Gale River Trail. <laughs> my friend, because uh, only two of us were heading out had to carry my pack at the end and I really almost couldn't walk in a week but uh, so every time I went down the stairs it hurt like hell but it just kind of just grabbed me it was so much fun and it was so beautiful South Twin is a really great mountain of course Washington is a fantastic mountain but I think probably at that point uh, I was out of shape enough that it it made me stand (laughs) up and take notice and after that I started researching more about hiking gear and what I needed. I started hiking every day even if it was in the city. I went to physical therapy to deal with my knees and really was planning to get back on the trail in a serious way. So six months later I hiked Tecumseh in I believe it was February it was a winter hike. I had all my winter gear, and there was a meetup going at the same time. Most of the members of that meetup were 20-year-olds, and I beat them to the top by like 20 minutes. <laughs> awesome. So I was very proud of myself, <laughs> and since then, I've been peak bagging. Great. So what is your favorite 4,000-footer? You know, I'm not sure I really have a favorite. I really do like the presidentials just because I love being above treeline. It's so beautiful. I really like doing Prezi Traverses in a single day just because you're above treeline yeah. for 12 hours. It's so, so pretty. The problem is, of course, some of the crowds and everybody goes to Washington, <laughs> so that can feel a little constraining. Uh, but there's nothing like being above treeline for so long. I think I like all the rest. South Wind has a special place in my heart because mm. of that um, first experience. And also it's a great peak. Uh, and it's also in the way of lots of other things. The bonds are fantastic. But they all have their charms. I don't much care for Cabot. <laughs> <laughs> Partially because it's such a long drive from Boston. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, that, that definitely adds to it. 
inhale in Zealand, you know, the usuals that are not particularly exciting. But the other ones are sort of on the way to something else, and Cabot's just way up there in the North Country, which is far for me. So on, on Mount Washington, have you ever had to deal with, I'm sure you've had to deal with a lot of crowds on weekends and yeah. stuff. Have, have you had to wait a while to get your picture at the summit sign, for example? Yeah, sometimes we skip it. Often we yeah. skip it. I mean, <laughs> right. how many, how many summit p- sign pictures do you need, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lead a, a single-day Prezi Traverse for the AMC every year. And often, even though some of these people haven't, done one before most people haven't done one before we don't even get our picture at the <laughs> sign because it's just ridiculous uh, yeah the crowd so as you said uh you guide hikes in the white mountains and all seasons for the amc what got you started down this path so i started as a leader with the amc in 2012 and uh it was really my way of giving back when i started out as a hiker even though I did some of my first hikes alone, I didn't really feel fully confident hiking solo as a relatively new hiker. And I really appreciated the groups that I was able to connect with to be able to hike. None of my friends hiked. It was, and it still is, my way of giving back to the community and providing a structure for those people who don't have a way to kind of connect to the mountains otherwise. Particularly women often feel uh, uncomfortable hiking alone and or you know need a little bit more structure. That isn't always true, but a lot of my hikes uh, or a lot of AMC hikes, depending on the, the length, a lot of, I would say, are more than half women. And I enjoy the, I enjoy the group. It's very friendly. Uh, they give a lot back to the trails and to conservation in general. It's a social experience for me too. What other locations have you guided for the AMC besides the White Mountains? So I have done two trips in the Alps, both in the Italian Alps. It's the Alta Via Valle d'Asta, which is not the Alta Via in the Dolomites. It's a separate area of Italy. This trail goes around a valley that includes parts of the Tour de Mont Blanc, part of the Tour de the Monte, uh, uh, Monte Rosa, and the Matterhorn. It's uh, the highest peaks in Europe kind of circle this valley. <clears throat> and there's a, actually a, an ultra race that's 215 miles long called the Tour de Gion that goes around the same trail. So I did two hikes that were two weeks long each and 100 miles, and one half one year and half two years later. This year I'm actually guiding Kilimanjaro. I am not the only guide on the trip. There is a local guide. You have to use a local company. But one of the things the AMC provides is, again, that sort of social support to make sure that we're screening participants, that to make sure they're up for the challenge, right. and that they also have the ability to be a team, to not have any problem children. That can happen sometimes. Problem adults, I should say. <laughs> but it is a social experience, particularly a longer trip that you're on, and it really is good to have that kind of pre-screening, which commercial trips don't provide. Cool, that sounds great. Cool. Where do you generally prefer to guide? You know, it really, anywhere. I do trips mostly in the White Mountains. Um, I do, I've done some in Maine and Vermont, as well as overseas. 
I'll continue doing all of the above. Uh, the overseas is very nice in, in the sense of uh, allows me to do some travel that I might not be able to do otherwise. It is a lot of work uh, and it definitely tests your ability to manage groups because in shorter hikes, participants tend to be on their best behavior and are able to moderate their own um, reactions to things because they know they're just going to be alone. They can scream in the car or something later. Um, <laughs> but on a two-week trip, that doesn't work that way. So you really have to manage a lot of different personalities and a lot of different expectations. And I actually find that kind of interesting and challenging. So it, it is both uh, difficult, but it's also kind of fun. I have organized trips to the American West and run those, but those are more with friends and family than with the AMC, although I may do that too. It's just, I think, easier to access as, uh, uh, again, friends and family kind of thing. Overseas travel is something people usually don't want to do alone in hiking, and so having that ability to plug in. And I think the AMC provides a great value. Um, so if, uh, a lot of the chips, if you look at the comparables, were half the price of like an REI. So that's nice too, to provide that value to the hiking community. What do you enjoy most about guiding? Is it different guiding overseas versus in the U.S.? Well, I think I spoke a little bit to that. So it's really the duration of the trip, I think, that's more relevant than it is the place. So you'd experience those same kind of social dynamics if you did a two-week trip in the United States as you would do overseas. Overseas, you do have complications of a different culture and a little bit more stress because of that. But particularly Europe is very easy place to be. There's a lot of public transportation that we don't have. And uh, a lot of people speak English, not necessarily everybody. So that's, you know, that's a little bit of a, a complicating factor. Was there a second part of that question that I missed? Um, what do you enjoy most about guiding? Again, I, I enjoy a lot of different things. Uh, the, the social experience, the, the teaching uh, experience, teaching people new skills, expanding their horizons, watching them experience something that they wouldn't have been able to do. There's nothing like um, having somebody say, that was the hardest thing <laughs> I've ever done in my entire life, and it was amazing! <laughs> right, that must uh, feel good. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that happens not necessarily on every trip, but, you know, everybody's um, skill level is at different places. So maybe taking somebody up to their first 4,000 footer, which I've done several times, for them is kind of one of those experiences right. versus, you know, perhaps getting, uh, I, we had a very, had a long day in the Alps and a ferry experience. I was like, oh my God, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> You know, one of the appeals, I think, of hiking is that ability of stretching your boundaries, stretching your, your limits, and accomplishing something that you didn't think you could. And being able to provide that and help somebody achieve those goals for themselves is really great, whatever those goals are. So now that you're more experienced than you were when you first started hiking solo, do you prefer hiking solo or guiding better now? I think on balance, I probably prefer being um, with a group, whether it's guiding or with friends. The social experience is actually very nice. Uh, for I also do continue to hike solo. 
Um, I have done solo backpacks and I've done a solo single day um, Pemi loop. Um, I don't do hike that often solo anymore. Actually, I just went up into the Osceola's 10 days ago or so, partially because I don't have that easy access to a car. So <laughs> <laughs> carpooling helps. Actually, carpooling is one of my favorite parts of uh, the social experience. You're kind of trapped in this little box and you can have some very great conversations. But, you know, solo hiking is its own kind of real euphoria and that you can hike at your own pace. You can stop when you want to stop for as long as you want to stop. And you're able to take in, I think, the natural world a little bit more thoroughly because you're not concentrating ever on somebody else. You're only concentrating on your own experience. And I, I think it's something that everybody should try. The first time I did a solo backpack was in Rocky Mountain National Park, and it was just amazing. I, mean, I just it was I was both a little intimidated I was alone um, most of the time I was in my campsites alone you know there's bear warnings not grizzlies thank god there <laughs> but uh, um, kind of bear canister but it, it, I think partially it is that experience of doing something new doing something that you're afraid of and being able to to do it and, and thrive and um, really enjoy it and part of it there was just this incredible natural beauty that was great to be in the middle of and not be distracted from at Definitely. all. So you climbed Mount Rainier last year. What motivated you to climb the mountain? Um, did you enjoy it? Did you have a favorite section and did you have any difficulties? So Mount Rainier has sort of been on my bucket list for a while. It was my first big peak. I wanted to do a, a big peak and have that experience. And I didn't actually have a particular date, but I was invited on a trip by some other AMC leaders. We didn't go uh, guided. Actually, one of our friends who had done it a number of times actually sort of served as a guide. He helped to teach us a lot of the skills that we needed, crevasse rescue and, uh, and just some rope skills and, uh, and other things that I actually hadn't learned yet. The climb was amazing. I'm really glad we did it the way we did because we were not in a commercial trip. We were able to set our own pace and we had uh, we put together a schedule that was very uh, relaxed. <laughs> so we arrived at Paradise, which is a base area and also has a hotel, and we stayed there in the lodge um, and got there in late afternoon. And then we went up to the lodge is like 55, and we went up to like 8,000 the next day, 9,000 something like that, and had a some training. Um, and just acclimation um, went down. Then the next day we went up and stayed just below Camp Muir at around 9,000 feet. And we camped on the snow, uh, right, snow field there right below. And then went up the next day to um, Ingraham Glacier, which is around 11 something and camped there. That night we did our summit bid, which our team, we had two rope teams of four my rope team was successful, the other rope team wasn't. Then we actually had another night, so we didn't have to go all the way down the mountain. We could stay there, and that gave us another chance to summit if we wanted to. So the other rope team could have gone up a second night. We had a great weather window. It was sort of foggy and um, a little snowy when we first got there, but our summit days and the days we were actually on the mountain were just gloriously clear. A couple favorite parts of the trip were 
I mean, it is just an astoundingly beautiful mountain. Uh, you're up there above the clouds, above treeline um, all the time, and it's you have a little Tahoma there where you're camped right by. It's really interesting. Um, we went fairly early in the season, so there weren't a lot of exposed crevasses. There was like 10 little stepovers and two jump overs. Wow. Uh, one of the jump overs got a ladder the next day that we were on it. Uh, the route is, we did the Disappointment Cleaver route, which is a pretty easy standard route, and it is groomed by Rainier Mountaineering. They do keep track, it's marked, it's very easy. Uh, although people do still have problems, mostly because of weather. They, you know, are in a whiteout and they lose their way. Often on the snowfield, interestingly, which is the easiest part, but because it isn't marked, they and walk off into the glacier mm. and walk off a cliff. When we started off uh, about two in the morning, just getting to sunrise where you see that beautiful sun coming up was really amazing. Getting to the summit um, and the summit area, the caldera, it was beautiful. And one of the neat things was we arrived at the summit about the, the summit area. So there's a cone and then you go across and you climb that final thing. We arrived there with a bunch of other groups. We were you know, right in the, the thick of it. But we took more time. We took <laughs> a, uh, a nice long break there. And the other groups were because they got to get all the way down the mountain that day. And we were just going down to 11,000. So we had a lot of time on the summit alone. And then we were descending basically alone. <laughs> um, so we didn't have anybody knocking rocks on our head. We didn't have anything like that. Was, that was a nice part of the That's trip. Good. It was uh, a really worthwhile experience, and I'd really recommend it. Was there anything uh, specifically frightening for you while you were hiking? So um, I am not, I, 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 I'm pretty good with heights, but I'm not fearless. So I never was frightened, but I knew that I could have been at a couple of points, and I just didn't let myself get there. There was a point where I was very tired, and that was we had passed a couple groups, which was very hard at that altitude. And we, we had another group that was coming up, and I was running out of gas. And so I said to the guide, is there a good place to stop? I'm really out of gas. He's like, you're five minutes from the summit. <laughs> so you're going to rest there. But that moment was one that was a little bit hard. And then I hadn't drunk enough. Um, when I drank and ate, I was fine. Um, and going down, I felt great, and I was the last one up at camp um, in, when we were down at camp afterwards. But um, one of my teammates actually fell when he was jumping across the crevasse, oh, wow. and so that was a little oh, scary. He fell forward. He caught his crampon on a sling that he had on his, um, his belt. So it's a good lesson to keep your slings <coughs> up nice and tight and don't let them dangle. Like he was okay? Yeah, he was fine. Yeah. Snow was nice and soft. And it wasn't like you, this wasn't a part where you're, you would have fallen down the mountain. It was a, not a very s steep slope at that point. All right. Well, that's good. He's okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So have you ever had to deal with sexism directed to you at, on the trail? Um, what about while guiding? Uh, yes. Uh, I think that sexism is something that all women encounter. Um, it was... I think worse when I was younger than it is now, which is good that we've seen some progress, but it's still out there. I'm a fairly authoritative person, 
but I think there is all, still a lot more challenges to my authority because I'm female. Mm -hmm. You notice a lot of times that there are less challenges to male leaders than there are to female leaders. Definitely. We call ourselves leaders, not guides. Okay. But I think the same would apply whatever your title is. There hasn't been anything that was that you couldn't potentially ascribe to something else, but I've just noticed this pattern of behavior. So there was one trip I was leading, which was Whiteface and Passaconaway, and we'd gone up Whiteface, we were going over the Rollins Trail. Uh, it was in winter, and we did the whole Rollins Trail, and uh, we got to, um, to Dicey's Mills at the junction and said, okay, everybody, we're gonna take, we're gonna take a 10 to 15 minute break, everybody put on your coats, let's have our lunch here. One of the participants is hurting, he's gonna probably go down from here. And one of the guys who was giving me a hard time the whole time sort of refused to put on his coat. And mm -hmm. then he's like, all right, I'm ready to go now, let's go, where I'm gonna go. And the co-leader, who is also a woman, said, sure, I'll go up with you guys. And I said, all right, you know, stay together and I'll, we'll all finish the rest of the group and we'll come up. So we finish, we go up, and then I find the co-leader on the side of the trail. And I'm like, what happened? And she said, well, I told them I needed to delay and they wouldn't stop. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so I, you know, turned off the trail and I'm like, that is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> That's not cool. Uh. Uh, but again, you know, she's, she isn't a very forceful person. I am. And so they just ran right over her. Um, and mm -hmm. I don't think they would have done that if he had been man. I've had more experiences, I think, as a younger woman. I think, uh, in particularly in the political arena, which, which I work. But uh, thankfully, not, not too many on the trail. Do you think okay. you have more when you're hiking solo or when you're being a leader? So solo, yes. Um, solo, you do get always. You're hiking alone. Definitely. Are yeah. you okay? You know, are you do you feel safe? Are you all right? <laughs> I got Mount Mannock of all places. Uh, <laughs> How can you even be alone on Mount Mannock? <laughs> it's usually from other women, though. Frankly. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I usually get it from other women more than other men. Interesting. Which is kind of sad. And I do see sometimes women working to enforce gender roles in a, in a way that men don't, um, to me at least. Now, I'm, you know, they do as well, but you know, sort of internalized oppression is sometimes one of the most powerful, powerful forms of, of oppression. Mm -hmm. and, and I see that, so you know, how can you do this stuff? You shouldn't be doing it, you're not safe. Blah, blah, blah. And maybe the guy, some of the guys are thinking it, they just don't say it. So I have encountered that uh, many times. Not always, you know, people are sometimes just fine or uh, very happy. But I, I don't tend to feel intimidated by strangers. Um, there hasn't been any time that I can think of on the trail where I felt unsafe by somebody's presence. I do have you know, some of those fears sometimes, like when I was in Rocky Mountain National Park uh, and I was hiking alone, the ranger actually put two people on my permit so that if anybody saw that I was, my permit on my tent, they think that there were two people there oh. instead of one, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. That's, uh. that's, that's kind of odd. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I think sometimes those, uh, those little fears did flit through my mind because it is somewhat accessible. But 
you know, that shouldn't uh, shouldn't stop us from doing what we need to Definitely. do or want to do. Right. Tell us about your upcoming trip to Kilimanjaro. You mentioned it before, but yeah. any thoughts or anything else you'd want to add? Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. Uh, <laughs> really excited. Sounds really exciting. Yeah. I'll be there for almost three weeks. We're doing... Uh, a couple days before getting on the mountain and then um, eight and a half days on the mountain and then a seven day safari afterwards. So (laughs) (laughs) super excited for all of it. We have a good team and and a number of actually other AMC leaders, uh, which is interesting. A big range of ages, uh, which is also nice. I think a good guiding company. Um, So it is a requirement on Kilimanjaro that you use a guiding company that is local and that you use porters and all the rest. Part of it, it is their economic development for the area. It is something that they, the tourist industry is basically where they get most of their money. And it does make it an easier climb. It is a very high mountain. It's 9,000, almost 9,400 feet. Uh, 9,000, I say 9,000, 19,341 <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, so 19,000 plus is a very high elevation. And the actual numbers in terms of the miles recovering is very minimal, but when you get to that altitude, altitude sickness is always a risk. Um, yeah, and hard. most people experience some kind of altitude sickness symptoms. So it's a matter of managing those symptoms and not letting them get out of control and doing less than you're capable of doing so that you're not stressing your cardiovascular system overly. So being in good shape is really important, but you also never really know. So my, uh, we AMC has had a really great summit rate. We've been 100% and several trips. Uh, one of the trips where I know somebody actually got um, high altitude cerebral edema, which is very dangerous, wow. was the youngest, fittest person on the trip. Huh. And he just was you know, kind of running up and back and not listening to the guides to go slowly. And he was getting up in the middle of the night to take star pictures. And he was getting up, you know, he was just really burning the candle at both ends. And he had to be evacuated. It's a shame. Yeah. I have not been to Africa before. So I'm really, there's always been some place I've wanted to go. And I'm really looking forward to that. Our group is doing a pre-hike. We're going to go up to Mount Madison and Adams, stay over in the hut. Um, and so I'll get a chance to see how people are doing and how their how their fitness is going at that point. That's in early June. Awesome. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your most memorable a- animal encounters on the trails. You know, I haven't had a ton of mem- memorable animal encounters, but I have had at least one. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the moose and foxes and things I've seen has not been on the trail. They've been on the side of roads (laughs) (laughs) or on logging roads or something like that. But I was, did have a a rather aggressive interaction with a spruce grouse. Oh yeah, (laughs) we have two. Yeah, I bet those things can. So this was in, I think it was May. We were doing a Mahusik Traverse. It was fairly early in my hiking career. And we got on the trail very late. It was a meetup group where the leader didn't, sh- didn't come. And it was just me and a friend and another guy. And it was a very long hike. But anyway, it was a great hike. We didn't finish till one in the morning. But, uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but we had our, we, the first part was going through some relatively 
flat terrain to get up to the peak and there was a spruce grouse there, a mama spruce grouse that was, you know, flying in our heads and chasing us and blocking the trail. So we tried to bushwhack around. She was just flying through the trees at us. Finally, I said, screw this. And I just sprinted as fast as I could and she couldn't <laughs> catch me. Um, wow. But the other guys took about another 20 minutes <laughs> to get around her because they were more intimidated. Oh, I did have another one actually on that Rocky Mountain trip. So in Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, I really wanted to go to a particular area to the high peaks around Long, Long's Peak. And there was a nesting uh, falcon in the area that was attacking people. The ranger didn't really want me to go, but I eventually convinced him to do that. As I got to the area where I knew she was coming, I started to hear her screaming. Um, oh, and so scary. I put my poles on top of my head and I was <laughs> waving them back and forth and clacking them over my head and she was attacking my poles. Wow. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I was talking to her telling her, I'm not going to attack your babies. Uh, and so I got through the area just fine. But um, again, I didn't want that to deter from <laughs> my, my itinerary. So what's next? Do you have um, another hiking goal you're planning to, to do? So I am continuing to work on the uh, New England 4,000 footers in winter. All I have is Baxter, uh, Peak, and Hamlin. I'll have another trip to Catan next year, and I hope to summit those uh, two mountains. We were up in Baxter this uh, year, winter, and we're able to get North Brother and, and um, Fort. So, and then I'll work on the 100 highest in winter. I am finishing up the all season 4,000 footer list, which is a baby grid. <laughs> 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 and it includes some trail work requirements and I hope to finish that this year. I've been working on trail rights, which I'm mostly done with. Uh, I don't, I am keeping track for the grid, but I'm not sure that that is a goal that I'll, I'll finish. It's a long way from Massachusetts and I'd like to go to new places. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a bunch of other goal trips out west and in, uh, in other countries that I'd like to do. I'm going to be putting together an interesting tr another trip in Africa called Gorillas and Glaciers <laughs> to um, hike to the Renzwari uh, National Park. They're the heaviest glaciated peaks in Africa. It is a glacier climb, um, so you're roped up. And then to see the, the, the mountain gorillas as well are right there. Wow. Are very close in Uganda. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. The flora, the fauna in the area is incredible. It's like this total Dr. Seuss forest with these <laughs> really weird, tufty, gnarly trees and um, cool flowers and very lots of mosses and it sounds really interesting. We'll see whether it appeals to the AMC um, <coughs> demographic or not. And there's a bunch of places in Europe out west. Someday I would like to do a long trail. Pacific Crest Trail has the most appeal to me. The Continental Divide Trail still has some sections that aren't so nice. And the Appalachian Trail is a little, uh, I may be interested in that as well, but if I'm only going to do one of the three scenic national trails, I would do the Pacific Crest Trail. Why is that? Sierras and Washington State are just incomparable scenery. They're just really amazing. <laughs> Having done a number of hikes in the Sierras and in Washington, I just know that landscape is incredible. 
it is a little more, it is more remote, so it's a little bit more of a wilderness experience. Um, the social experience of the Appalachian Trail does sound uh, interesting, but it is very much of a social experience. That isn't exactly what I have in mind right now, but who knows, that could change. Cool, okay. So now we are going to ask some questions that are unrelated to hiking. So what do you do for a living? So I'm executive director of Common Cause Massachusetts, and we're a state chapter of a national organization that lobbies for ethics and government and free and fair elections and openness and transparency. We've been around for 40 years and have been making steady progress to a goal that's very important but probably not always attainable because a democracy is always about people trying to fight for their own power because power has a way of wanting to centralize and secretize and keep it for itself. So there's always a push-pull dynamic in government. And we're part of the trying to pull it back to the people dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been doing it for a long time. It's really good, important work. Had a lot of successes passing campaign finance reforms like the $500 contribution limit here in Massachusetts and all sorts of disclosure requirements, public financing elections, redistricting reform, um, national popular vote to elect the president with a popular vote, part of a national movement, spent a lot of work on that, various voting reforms, transparency issues like making sure that records, public records are free and accessible to the public. I, I've been doing it a long time. I'll be doing it for for the foreseeable future, but one of these days I will retire and go <laughs> hiking full time. <laughs> so what's your favorite food? Ooh. <laughs> I don't know that I have a favorite food. Yeah, um, that's hard. <laughs> I like sweet potatoes a lot. Mm. Hmm. How about sweet potato fries? I do like sweet potato <laughs> fries. Yep, those are good. I don't know why I like sweet potatoes so much. Right at the moment, I'm on a, a, a bit of a, a stricter diet and they're one of the starches that I can sort of get away with so that also (laughs) increases their attractiveness. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite non-hiking related book? Ooh, uh, another hard one. I don't know that I have a favorite book. I have, I've been um, interested in a lot of different genres of books over my life. I really, really liked uh, science fiction and fantasy for a long time. Uh, Philip K. Dick, Ubik is a really incredible book. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, all David Brin, all sorts of things. Ken Kesey, sometimes a great notion I really loved. Even Faulkner, As I Lay Dying, was a book I read in high school that was one of my favorites. <laughs> Nowadays, I read a wide range. So if you could either fly or be invisible, which one would you choose and why? No question. Fly, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people say that. It's It's like, duh. (laughs) Uh, Although, yeah, I know there are people that say the same way, and I've listened to This American Life on that, which was a very interesting show. But um, flying is just... You know, something that I, I think I've dreamt about is a, from the various young ages. It's just such a cool thing to be able to be above uh, the landscape and see everything go by and get places faster. <laughs> um, and um, on the other side, I just don't 
I don't think there's a lot that I would do that I would do differently if I was visible or invisible. You could be like a bird. Yeah, I would <laughs> like to be like a bird. Yeah, that would be cool. Dogs or cats? I have both. If I had to pick one, it'd probably be dogs. They're very friendly and cuddly. Some cats are friendly and cuddly, but not all of them. <laughs> Depends on which one you get. Yeah, yeah, I have a friendly and cuddly cat. Sometimes a little too insistent. But <laughs> he doesn't go in the car. He doesn't go on hikes. And I know there are a few hiking cats, but there aren't very many. Okay, um, chips or popcorn? Uh, probably chips. Um, Scott, I bring potato chips on a lot of hikes. <laughs> Salt and fat and carbs are all good. Um, and I don't eat popcorn that much anymore. Hmm. Cheddar or Swiss? I do not eat cheese. I have had a casein allergy f <clears throat> for a while, and I pretty much avoid cheese. Okay. okay. If I had to pick, it would be cheddar, though, from before when I did eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so if you had to pick one, summer hiking or winter hiking in the white? Uh, summer. Okay. <clears throat> uh, winter is beautiful. It is that stark beauty. Um, but I also just love the summer with the green and the birds and being able to wear minimal clothes and trail runners on your feet and not having to worry about ice axes or crampons or micro spikes or gators. There's just a simpler way of relating to nature. You know, it's interesting. Uh, some of my other hiking friends have had this discussion and when they first start winter hiking, they're like, winter hiking. Um, <laughs> But then they're like, uh, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I do love hiking in the winter, um, but all those extra things just kind of weigh, uh, weigh on mm. one. Uh, I like also, I, I'm not a huge winter backpacker. I've done some, but I also really like to get out for multi multiple days and being able to pitch your tent in is great. Okay. Well, thank you for coming. This is great. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and best of luck as you finish this podcast and interview more folks. Thank you. Thank you. And with your grids. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. The preservation of the environment is important if we want to continue having beautiful mountains to hike. We strongly encourage you to donate to Union of Concerned Scientists, or UCS. It is an amazing organization that does important scientific research to help prevent negative effects of climate change. You can learn more about UCS and donate to their organization at ucsusa.org.